Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is world-class trumpet player Chris Coletti, member of the Canadian Brass. I was lucky enough to perform with Chris this past year, over New Year's. We were both members of the Strauss Symphony of America, which presents the Salute to Vienna series across North America. We were contracted to play four concerts, one in New York, one in Philadelphia, one in New Brunswick, and one in Bethesda, Maryland. At the first rehearsal up in Manhattan, I was setting up all the percussion equipment, and the various musicians started to come in to the rehearsal venue. Now keep in mind this orchestra is a freelance orchestra, which means it's not a permanent gig. You get called for the week or weekend, you do the job, and when it's over, the orchestra's dissolved. Well, I was set up, and I was watching all the musicians come into the rehearsal hall, and this guy comes in with a trumpet, and I'm like, my, he looks familiar. Never worked with him. I wonder if I went to school with him, or, you know, the music business is very small. A lot of times you don't remember where you've met people or have seen them before. After about 30 minutes, one of the other percussionists comes up to me and says, do you know who that trumpet player is? I said, yeah, he looks familiar. Have you worked with him before? He said, no, I don't think so. That's Chris Coletti from the Canadian Brass. And then it dawned on me that I'd seen him on YouTube and all these other places. So this is a really great interview. Um, we find out how he became a trumpet player and uh, some of his hobbies outside of music. So I hope you enjoy this edition of Backstage at the Enharmonic. Hey, Chris, are you there? I'm here, Sean. How's it going? Great, man. Uh, thanks for taking some time and doing this interview for me. Really looking forward to it. Absolutely. My pleasure. My honor. Excellent. I usually start with the same question for all of my guests, and I go back to the very beginning because most people that are listening to my guests, they know the thing in their career that made the guest famous. Uh, I'm going to go in some other areas and try to find out where you came from. What thing happened to you, and you can recall, like, music was important to me at what age? Oh, that's great. Well, it was a very specific moment, actually, like you assumed. I was watching Sesame Street, and Itzhak Perlman was on as a guest. And he played, I actually don't know what he played, but he was played so magnificently that I decided I had to play the violin. And I told my parents that I needed one. I needed one. I needed a violin. And they got me one. And they got me lessons and all that. But the sad ending to this story was that I was a little too confident and I told my mom, I don't know how many years later, I was like, Mom, I don't even know how to play the violin. I don't need lessons anymore. And she didn't want to force me, so uh, the lessons stopped. And then, of course, I practiced and then slowly faded out of that. And I still hold her, hold this against her. I'm like, why did you let me quit violin, Mom? I love violin. Um, and then later, and when I was in, I guess, fourth grade, that's when the school had a band program you could join. And I'm, I actually was on like a, uh, my mom was on a church feast and I was nine and I was with her. And so we missed the, the, the band day where like you get to pick your instrument. So when I showed up, there was all these reasons why I couldn't join the band. The, the director said it was too late. We had missed all these things. Um, but they did give me a shot. And after some like basic rhythm and pitch tests, just to see if you had some sort of an ear without any training. Um, they let me in and they asked what I'd wanted to play. And I, I said clarinet because my grandfather plays the clarinet. He still plays actually. He's 90 years old. And wow. he's like, all right, let me see your hands. 
And the band director looked at my hands. And he's like, no, nope, your hands are way too small. Trumpet. Trumpet for you. And, um, and that's how I started to play the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> that is an interesting story. I didn't expect the violin, then the clarinet, and then the trumpet. That's fascinating. <laughs> um, whereabouts was this? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Staten Island, New York. I was born in Brooklyn, but that's where I grew up until I was about 17. And um, and just to draw that full story full circle, so the, that same band director, he was an amazing band director. He taught all the best schools in Staten Island. And I became best friends with his son because we're the same age. He was also a trumpet player, although now he's a rocket scientist. But he was also a trumpet player. And uh, now that we're friends, we're still friends. And I was just hanging out with him last week, actually. And I asked him, I'm like, why did you, did you really think my hands are too small for the clarinet? I mean, and he was like, oh, no, uh, we had way too many clarinet players. I needed trumpet players. <laughs> that's, that's, I would always have a couple of band director tricks. And he told me another one that if somebody really wanted to play the clarinet, sometimes he would give it to them without the reed. And they would be blowing on it and nothing would be coming out. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. This doesn't seem like the right instrument to you. Here, try this trumpet. And then they'd blow, blow through that. And, of course, we'd get some sort of a sound. Yeah, trumpet's for you. So <laughs> 20 years That's later, I, I heard the truth. Yeah. <laughs> through middle school, high school, um, I guess you were involved in the um, concert band and orchestras. Was there a marching band component or jazz band or anything like that? There was jazz band. It was no marching band. So in the city, I guess it wasn't as big of a thing, less space. Um, so I never did marching band, believe it or not, unlike most Americans. But um, my, I hated junior high. So if you're a junior high student and you're listening to this, I'm with you. I just didn't like it. I just felt like uh, it was a hard time to be a kid. But the band was the place where it was still cool to be good at something. Being cool didn't have to be a place... Uh, a thing where you didn't care about what was going on in band and band being cool meant being good, being prepared, showing up and making the group experience better for everyone. So I really got into it and I wound up joining every, I think every band that I possibly could. I did a, a band on weekends. I did a band on weeknights. It was like an after school program. Um, I did jazz bands. And I basically did every single performance opportunity that was possible. I did them all. And that included all sorts of things. Then I started playing in orchestras, which at, uh, for most band instrument players, you don't really get to do that until they're older. Yeah, the same band director suggested lessons very early on. I should have mentioned that. And so when I was about, probably when I was still nine years old, I had a private teacher, and I've had one ever since. So when your teacher, I guess it was a lot of fundamentals and stuff, and um, did they venture away from like the class, like the Arbins, or was it like strictly like legit trumpet, or was there a mix of different stuff in there? You know, um, I had two different teachers at, uh, between elementary school and junior high, and, and my first teacher was a classical teacher, and he actually, he was, apparently he used to play in Michael Jackson's band. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I was too young to know who Michael Jackson was at the time, so I'm not sure if it's true. But um, I didn't particularly like this trumpet teacher, and I actually almost quit. And my next teacher was a jazz trumpet player. And although I was a little young to be focusing just on one musical style, so my lessons were more classical focused. But he was definitely a jazz trumpet player, and he was awesome and got me really excited about it again. And then my his name was Mike Morreale, so shout out to Mike Morreale. 
And my next teacher after him was the legendary Lori Frank, who sadly passed away a few years ago, but she was also coming from a commercial background, but um, with me focused more on just fundamentals. And because my interest, although I loved playing jazz and still do, but my real interest was classical playing. So that was the focus in lessons, yeah. Now, was your love of classical just innate to you, or was it your um, your home life? Like, did your parents listen to classical? Did you go to a lot of concerts? Uh, where, where did that come from, if you even know? You know, that's a good question, and I, I think, and who knows if it's nature versus nurture, but my mom swears that when I was kicking around, when I was still in the womb, when I was kicking around, she swears the only thing that would get me to calm down was um, Bach, mostly, and also <laughs> Mozart and Beethoven. And to this day... Hands down, my favorite composer is Bach, but I digress. Me too. So we're in good company. Um, yeah. <laughs> so in your <laughs> in your formative years, um, looking back, or did you have aspirations to be a pro musician, or did you want to be like a fighter pilot or something else? Like what was happening in middle school, <laughs> high school, all that type of stuff? Um, well, I probably. I always wanted to be, whatever I did, I always wanted to be the professional at that. So I, was, I took life a little too seriously. I would even, um, I would go to school dressed up, like if I was in the mood to be a baseball player, I would dress up like a baseball player. <laughs> One day I went to school with all my clothes inside out. I'm not sure what that was supposed to be professionally, but <laughs> my, uh, I'm not sure why my mom let me do all those things. But um, my, this trumpeter, this first one that I didn't like, was very, very intense. And he would always, say negative things. He would always have a lot of negative things to say, which wasn't great. But one day, he was like, oh, that was great. Now, you got to tell me, do you want to do this? Because you, you might have what it takes. Do you really want to do this? And he made me decide right there as a nine-year-old whether I was going to be a professional or not. And of course, I said yes. I, didn't know, I don't know how much I thought about it, but I did say yes, and thinking it would please him. But his response was like, well, good. Now I'll really get on you. And I was like, uh-oh. So... <laughs> But yeah, so I, I, I always took it very seriously, but I sort of always took everything really seriously. Um, and as time progressed, um, I think it became clearer and clearer that it wasn't that I liked doing everything equally, because I, as much as I loved doing everything else, I was okay not doing everything else, but I wasn't okay not doing music. So you play trumpet, of course, and other brass instruments. Do you play anything outside of the brass family? I play piano, and I still play. I am. Um, I was 16 years old, and I was dating somebody that was much different than myself. I was at the time I was a uh, rebellious young kid. Other than trumpet, I was sort of like doing my own thing and didn't care much about school. And she, on the other hand, had dreams of being a medical doctor. So she was a, an A student, something I never was, and just worked really hard and was very studious. And um, she showed me a video of a young, also I think probably even younger than I was at the time, Yevgeny Kissin playing Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto, number one, the one in D-flat, and with, <laughs> with the Berlin Philharmonic and Herbert von Karajan. It was just unbelievable. The performance was amazing. And I saw that and inspired by her amazing work ethic, work ethic and all, but mostly inspired by the music and the performance of such a young kid with a, such an incredible 
professional orchestra and conductor, I decided I was going to learn piano. And I, uh, I felt like I was way too old and it was impossible to do at this time in my life. Oh, looking back, I wasn't old, but it felt like I was old. It was the oldest I'd ever been before, after all. I decided <laughs> I was going to teach myself the, um, and the youngest I'll ever be. I decided to teach myself um, those opening chords, which are not hard for a pianist, but for someone that doesn't play piano, it took months to learn. And by the time I finished those, I was uh, accomplished enough to learn the next section. So I taught myself how to play piano with the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto, basically. Wow. And, I, and <laughs> it was the best, to this day, the greatest decision I've ever made. I don't think there's anything more rewarding I've ever done than teach myself how to play piano. Wow. Most people you hear, like, they learned a Rolling Stones song in their garage, not to check out. Right. <laughs> Pretty incredible. <laughs> so you have perfect pitch, right? I I have what I call practical self, uh, practical perfect pitch. I My parents were musically trained. They were music majors in school. So, of course, they tested if I had perfect pitch ever since I was old enough to sing. And I never had it. So according to the the real strict definition of perfect pitch, I technically don't because you're supposed to develop it within the first year of life and you have a different brain structure. They have all sorts of MRIs that show these, I mean, brain scans that show that. Um, however, I noticed that when learning theory, mostly when I was doing theory, ear training, and even more I guess even more helpful than that was doing arrangements. Like I would listen to recordings and say, I want to play that piece, but I couldn't find the sheet music anywhere. So I would just write down what I heard and it took a long time, but eventually I'd have a piece of sheet music of that recording of all the parts and whatnot. That developed my ear to the point where I started noticing that I could hear pitches without having to really think about it, what the pitch was. I just knew what it was right away which was really helpful as a trumpet player because there's no real bass pitch that you can base it off of. It's not, obviously, it's not visual, like a keyboard or something. And your valve combinations are very small. Everything you're doing is with your lips. So it's very similar to the vocal cords where you don't, you can't physically tell your body to sing a certain note. You just hear it and, and do it. So if you can't hear it, you can't do it. And I started noticing it, improving my playing, so I started developing it more and more consciously. And at this point, I feel like I have perfect enough pitch to say that I have perfect pitch, but not without that long uh, answer. <laughs> I like that, perfect enough pitch. <laughs> Obviously, the Canadian brasses existed well before both of us. Did you ever imagine, you know, through middle school, high school, college, that you would be a permanent member of the Canadian Brass? Oh, man. Definitely not. I'm not sure if you saw that recent um, Louis C.K. show skit where somebody's complaining about how they had to go, to, they were forced by an ex-boyfriend to go to the New York Philharmonic and no. there was a second trombone player and like, who is the second trombone player? I can't believe he had his whole life to be the second trombone player with the New York Philharmonic. And then somebody, some guy sitting next to her, listening to her rant, points out that that second trombone player's name is Dave Finlayson. And the reason it was particularly funny is because the guy that posted it on YouTube was Dave Finlayson. <laughs> so he got this really huge shout out. But she points out something really interesting. Like when you're going through your career, 
your goals feel to you like they're getting more and more uh, big, like you're, you're aspiring to bigger and bigger dreams. But the reality is they're actually getting more specific and in a way they're even getting a little bit less grand, but that's because you're getting a more realistic view of how the world works and you can either choose to let that affect your dreams or not. So by the time I was in my master's, my dream was no longer to be like world famous soloist, which I, I figured was probably impossible, but just to get a job in an orchestra, any orchestra. I didn't even care if it was full time. I just wanted, you know, everyone was saying the same things. I need to get a job, got to get a job, got to get a job. So I was focusing like 100% on getting an orchestral job. And I did. It was a part time orchestra, but, um, and it was very satisfying. But the, the, the Canadian brass thing was amazing because it was, uh, first of all, I never even thought I'd even meet these guys, let alone become one of them. And it kind of broke back that childhood dream of doing something big, doing something that will enhance people's lives, not just like in an orchestra where I felt like as a trumpet player, I felt a little bit disconnected from the performance itself. I mean, the music is amazing, but um, I just didn't feel like there was enough glory for what I had dreamed up as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of videos and live performances and stuff with you guys. Um, where did the high C thing come from? <laughs> but you sing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so um, believe it or not, you think that somebody that knows how to do that would remember the first time it happened, but I don't. I, I do remember as far back as I guess I was just entering my master's degree. I was at the music festival. Um, PMF, Pacific Music Festival, um, in Japan. And they have karaoke, karaoke, as we say here, karaoke. And, like, we were singing at a one of these karaoke places, and I decided to, like, belt out this high operatic version of whatever song it was. And I saw everyone's faces, and I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is power. This is great. <laughs> and um, that sort of became, <laughs> it sort of became my... Uh, my little trick in front of new people. And when uh, the former trumpet player, uh, a former trumpet player of Canadian brass and I met, it inevitably, it inevitably came up because he had seen me doing it in parties or anything like that. And um, <laughs> he advised me, this is of course fast forwarding to the point where I was auditioning for the group. He was like, yeah, you know, I think that they're going to probably love that, but you probably want to you know, chill with the, the high singing thing. It is a little weird after all. And I agreed, and it was true, and they, they liked it. They did see it, but they did react kind of like, well, that was strange. But they came, <laughs> fast forward another few years. I'm doing a cadenza in, a, in an arrangement of dreidel, and it's a, our, a former trumpet player, the original trumpet player with Canadian Brass, Ronnie Rom, actually did the arrangement. And it starts with a very simple statement of the dreidel theme. And eventually it becomes a little more jazzy and it winds up running through all these different musical styles, ending in a really fiery uh, klezmer style. And right before the klezmer style is this klezmer style cadenza. And I, I was putting as much me into it as I could, but the guys kept on commenting. I was still new after all. They kept commenting, oh, you know, I think it's great, but it could have more you and it has to sound more Chris Coletti. It's got to have more, it could be, it could be better. It could be even more of this. So we were constantly helping each other improve. And one night, instead of playing the high C in the cadenza, I sang it 
and the audience totally <laughs> lost it. And afterwards, they were like, "Okay, it's in the show," and that was it. <laughs> Pass out. Now That's outstanding. <laughs> now it's a Canadian. It's not a Canadian brass show. If Chuck doesn't wind up lying on his back, Chuck's our tuba player, of course, founding member. And if I don't get to sing a high C, so we have to get it in there somehow every night. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I, I had I kind of had a, a a feeling there was some funny story since you're a brass player associated with this thing. Like it wasn't like you were sitting at a desk going, hmm, how can I make this interesting? I knew it was some messing around right. that probably caused that. <laughs> <laughs> Usually is that. Yes. Uh, have you ever had a chance to perform with someone or in a setting where, like, I know it might be impossible to narrow it down to one, but you have you had a pinch yourself moment, like, I can't believe I'm the guy on this gig doing this in this place? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I I know this is going to sound cliche, but I almost feel like that happens all the time because I sure. the greatest thing about um, well, I should first get away the start with the obvious ones because when I of course joining Canadian Brass for anyone I don't care who you are is just like are you serious like it still feels like that I've been doing it almost seven years and it's still like I can't believe this is real it's just unbelievable the guys are so good the audiences are so dedicated and they're just they just love music and so there's that that's the first level the most obvious as an outsider to see but one of the most amazing things, this is the cliche part, uh, the most amazing things about being a classical musician, and I know you understand, you know, I know you feel the same, is, um, is that you're playing music by such amazing minds that every time you play one of these pieces, you're getting an insight into the minds of some of the greatest that ever lived. Um, so you're sitting on the stage and playing a piece by Mahler or something, you're, it's like getting to go see your favorite painting or piece of architecture or anything like that, but you're actually part of it, and it's just an unbelievable feeling. It never, it never feels quite real, but I'm always so thankful to be part of it. M- most recently, I start, um, I play Baroque trumpet, by the way. I don't know how many of your listeners know what that is, but it's the old trumpet. Back, They used to just call it the trumpet in the Baroque period a couple hundred years ago. It was essentially a pipe about six feet long, had a mouthpiece and a bell, like a regular modern trumpet, but nothing else. No holes, no tube, no valves, no, no rotaries, nothing, just a tube. The modern version has a couple of holes to make it play a little bit more in tune, but ultimately you're doing everything with your lips. So it takes what I said about playing modern trumpet to, to the whole another, another level. And um, I got to play Bach's B minor mass, possibly the greatest piece ever written, with... Uh, Caleb Hudson, who is the other trumpet player in Canadian Brass, um, and we were all playing in an orchestra with period instruments, and just not only is that piece just so amazing to play, it's just, it feels like if you look at a diamond, uh, just reflecting all these little lights, you, you, you become one of those little reflections in a way when you're playing a piece of that, of that quality and of that magnitude. But um, just to everyone in the orchestra felt that way too, which is the way music should always be. But a lot of the times when you get into the freelance scene or just in the professional world, it, it, people get, get bored of it or who knows why, but it's not really that idealistic um, situation. Like there's people that are complaining about this or that and they forget about all the cool things that you're doing. 
And in this particular performance, and I think it has something to do with it, it's even more niche than just being a musician playing on these period instruments. Every single person knew the words as much as the choir and the conductor did. And it was just an amazing mm. experience. I was definitely pinching myself in that moment, too. Wow, that's awesome. And I really like what you said about um, you compared it to a painting. It's almost like, you know, seeing your favorite piece of art and you're actually part of it or in it or something. It's really incredible. Exactly. So on your iPod, what is Chris Coletti listening to? What's in constant rotation these days? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think like most people nowadays, it's pretty varied, um, which I think is really cool for music in general. Um, I Like I mentioned, I love Bach. I, I John Elliott Gardner and the is it the English Baroque soloists have a a complete Bach cantata recording. It's like I don't know, probably like fifteen CDs or something. Of course, I'm listening to it on Spotify, so I have no idea how many discs it is. But that is a that is constantly on my on my on my listening list. Um, actually, Caleb and anyone listening to this that plays the trumpet or just likes trumpet music that's interested in checking this out, um, Caleb compiled a playlist of all of the movements only from box cantatas that include trumpet. And we were both wow. surprised that just those movements, not even the entire cantata, but just the movements from the cantatas that include trumpet is over four and a half hours of music. Four and a half hours. <laughs> oh gosh. And this is music that trumpet players never know. I mean, when you think Bach cantata, every trumpet player immediately thinks of the 51 Number 51, which is amazing, too. It's really, really cool. But it is only one of many really, really incredible trumpet moments in music history. And I, in my opinion, nothing's even come close since. But I'm a, I'm a little overly obsessed, possibly. But, but anyway, you could subscribe to this playlist and then listen to this stuff for free. So, so we've been talking about music for the whole time. Do you do anything besides music, and what is it? <laughs> oh, I get distracted for a living. That's that's the truth. I do. Um, I think the answer to that question would be different depending on when you asked it. Right now, my new hobby, and uh, you know, it's, it's actually an understatement to say hobby. It's obsession. Is um, I guess it's a few things. Uh, woodworking, and specifically, I've gotten obsessed with the Japanese style of the ancient Japanese style of woodworking where you don't use any nails or screws and some, you know, usually not even any glue, just really complicated joinery and um, all by hand with chisels and saws and whatnot. And, uh, and also plants. I'm, 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 I've been obsessed with plants and I guess my whole life. I have a lot of plants in my house. My students know this. And um, I'm always trying to learn how to propagate um different trees and I have these two pine trees in front of my house they're like they're my favorite pine trees I figured out that they're Norway spruce if anyone knows trees they're huge they're amazing and the pine cones kept falling all over my deck so I started collecting them just because they looked nice in a bowl on my kitchen table then I started looking up how to extract the seeds and it turned out that there were ways to actually grow pine trees from seeds a lot of plants believe it or not don't do well from seeds and um but these did. So now on my kitchen counter, there's a fluorescent light and about 100 little baby pine trees growing. So that's whenever I'm home, those are my babies. Now, 
do these does their growth rate depend on the the thing that they're in? Like, well, if it's a well, they stop. Or are they going to be like a, a field of Christmas trees in your house? <laughs> oh, I wish it was that easy. I mean, yeah, they will be stunted by the size of their container, and uh, the light okay. matters a lot, and so does the water. So uh, I'm going to keep on upgrading, and eventually my goal is to get them strong enough to be put outside because pine trees do fine once they're strong enough. And, of course, in nature, you know, they don't need to be babied this way, but then the success rate is a lot lower. You might get one out of 100 that survive, and this way I'm trying to get, like, 60 out of 100 to survive. So, yeah, I'm going, like, I want, like, a forest in my yard. (laughs) So then going a step further with your other hobby... Is it is it your goal sometimes to grow a tree which you can make furniture out of eventually? You know, it is because so I live I live in Brooklyn and um I'm very fortunate that my grandparents who were the uh sons and daughters of Italian immigrants bought a place that in a neighborhood that was not very safe but is now a very prized neighborhood. So it's a, a much bigger space than I think than I probably should have in a, in a city that's this dense. And um, my grandmother tells a story about the city cutting down this huge maple tree in front of the house. And there was nothing wrong with it. She thinks they got the wrong tree. That was like the one next to it was dying on someone else's property. Anyway, long story short, she was crying. She was sad. It was really a big part of the house. And my five-year-old uncle said, don't worry, mommy. I'll plant you a tree and planted a little maple tree uh, seed that had come off of like one of those little polynoses that had come off the tree and planted a few of them actually. And one of them is at my parents' house where I grew up and it's huge. And the ones that he planted at this house, which is the same house he grew up in, which is kind of another cool thing, is one in the back and one in the front. And they are enormous. I mean, I can't fit my arms around them. And so he planted them by hand. So of course I want them to live forever. But um, if they if they die in my lifetime, it would be really nice to give it a new life by turning it into something cool. That is awesome. Very interesting. Well, I know you're a busy guy, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, thanks for taking the time to answer these questions, and I hope the listeners all got something out of it. I know I sure did. And uh, I can't wait to see you again soon, Chris. So thanks again. My pleasure. You know, just because I know your listeners are, may have some questions and uh, – they don't have the opportunity to ask them now. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Weibo if you speak Chinese. And, um, and of course, I, I run uh, – Canadian Brass has all these accounts as well, and I, I run those accounts along with the other guys. So if you have any Canadian Brass account uh, questions, that's really easy to find. My accounts are easy to find too. And I have a blog if you're ever interested about learning more about either trumpet or just music in general, where I, I recently wrote an article about um, performance anxiety. It's just trumpetchrisblog.com. And um, I hopefully I think you guys will find that useful. Perfect. And uh, I post this, I'll, of course, um, I'll communicate with you through email and get all the links and put them right below the podcast so everyone can get to them very easily. All right. Thanks, Sean. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. The music for today's show featured Chris Coletti and the Canadian Brass. From their recent release, Perfect Landing, the track was called Granada. Please follow the link below to pick up a copy for yourself today. 
In addition to the recording link, please follow the link to visit Chris's blog and the Canadian Brass's upcoming concerts. Thank you.